This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.11. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about uh, Datuk Sri Najib Raza as well as former 1MDB CEO Arul Kanda being acquitted of tampering with the audit of 1MDB. Uh, we're trying to understand what this acquittal and discharge means. Send your thoughts through. What do you make of this? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is advocate and solicitor Dato Vignesh Kumar, who is also a former deputy public prosecutor at the AG's chambers. Dato Vignesh, good to have you with us. Hi, good, good evening, uh, Shamila and Ling. Uh, thanks for having me. So, uh, former PM uh, Najib Raza, as well as 1MDB's CEO Arul Kanda, uh, have been acquitted and discharged in this abuse of power case for the 1MDB audit report. Specifically, the judge had ruled that the prosecution failed to prove a prima facie case against the accused. So, could you talk to us about what this means? Sure. Uh, before answering that question directly, uh, let me just give you an overview of how uh, criminal trials are held in this country. Uh, first of all, uh, after an accused person is charged in court, uh, the prosecution will have to adduce uh, evidence uh, by way of documentary evidence or true oral testimony of witnesses to satisfy uh, the judge that, that there is a prima facie case uh, to be answered by the accused. Now, uh, only then the judge will have to make a ruling as to whether uh, an accused person will have to enter defense. And at this stage, an accused person could, uh, um, you know, uh, give evidence uh, from the accused doc. Uh, They can either give evidence also through uh, the witness stand, where they'll have to give uh, uh, testimony under oath, and they can uh, remain silent as well. So in this this scenario, it means uh, that the evidence pr- produced by the prosecution at this stage in this case didn't satisfy uh, the requirement of the law. Uh, hence why uh, we believe, based on the judgment given by the learned High Court judge, uh, Dr. Srinajib and Arul Kanda, was given uh, acquitted, uh, acquittal and discharge. So what criteria would actually have had to be fulfilled in order to present verifiable evidence in this case? Well, the criteria of evidence, uh, first of all, it must uh, be credible and it, it must be to the satisfaction of the judge that the evidence that was presented was sufficient uh, to satisfy uh, the calling of defense. Now, the law over the years has developed uh, that even though the word prima facie means on the face of it, uh, but the, the, the law has developed to an extent where the evidence that was presented must be uh, must be strong on a maximum evaluation of the judge because if the accused uh, choose to remain silent after defense is called, he could be actually convicted. So the courts are careful. The courts are, uh, you know, will have to scrutinize uh, every evidence that was presented by the prosecution. Now, if you look at uh, oral testimonies, it has to be credible. The credibility of witnesses are important. If you look at documentary evidence, the documents uh, must only lead to one conclusion, i.e. that it leads, uh, cre- it lends credence to the prosecution's case that uh, the accused who, who's facing the charge is actually uh, guilty. So the threshold of uh, a prima facie case at the end of prosecution's case is actually a, a high one 
an onerous one as well to the prosecution. So to, un- to, to put it in a nutshell, the evidence must be credible, admissible to the satisfaction of the law. So briefly, what do abuse of power charges typically cover? Well, uh, if you look at it, uh, abuse of power is, uh, is, a, is a very wide uh, area of law under the MACC Act. It's under Section 23 of the MACC Act. It covers uh, a very wide uh, range of uh, offences uh, of any public officer holding any public office, making any decisions which uh, directly or indirectly could benefit himself, his relatives, or his associates, uh, you know, could be said to have committed the offence. And if you look at Section 23, it also has presumption where it says that if he, uh, if it's proven that a public officer had used his position to make any decision, it would be presumed that uh, that act uh, was done for gratification. So um, if you look at the wording itself, it's very wide. Of course, the prosecution will have to prove uh, what decision did the accused make in his capacity as uh, a public officer, and and it has to directly relate uh, to his position. So that is very important here. So it could be uh, from the smallest things. Uh, for example, I'm just giving an an example. If uh, if any public officer makes any decision, say to award a contract uh, to his relative, uh, that is caught under the section. Uh, if he if he makes any decision in a in a meeting in in which he had uh, some sort of an influence to decide the outcome. Uh, which in which later on benefits his relative, for example, or or, or anyone uh, who could be termed as his associate, uh, that is an offence under the Act. So it, it's very wide, and this Act has uh, his history from uh, the old emergency ordinance. So it is it is very widely drafted, I would say. So in this case, uh, Judge Zaini had agreed with Najib's lawyer that there was no causal link between the amendments and the alleged gratification. Now, you've covered gratification. Um, can yeah. you talk to us about the causal link and how that's typically established? Uh, okay, from what I read in the media reports, because the uh, Leonard High Court judge has not provided his uh, full written grounds yet, so I'll have to be uh, you know, uh, mindful of that. Now, uh, from what little the judge has said, it appears uh, that there is no link between the uh, amendment. The amendment here, uh, as we can see from the charge sheet, is that uh, he has uh, allegedly uh, directed a few amendments to the final audit report. And, uh, it, and that uh, report was alleged to be uh, amended to avoid any civil or criminal liability. Now, what the judge has said is that even if uh, the amendments uh, were directed by him, uh, that would not have put him uh, to any sort of liability, be it civil or criminal. So the learned judge has said that, look, you know, uh, first of all, he has mentioned that there's no direct evidence that uh, Najib is the one who directed the amendment. Now, even if he directed the amendment, the amendment had no, uh, had no casual link that he will avoid any kind of liability or, or of some sort. So based on what the judge has said, this is uh, what we can gather at the moment. Of course, this is subject to his full uh, written grounds. Now, if we look overall at the ruling, what is the significance of it, considering uh, the amount of controversy 1MDB has generated? Uh, I, I would think that this uh, ruling uh, is, is uh, particularly f- uh, focusing on the issue of the audit report. 
the judge has not made any uh, ruling, any finding as far as uh, the, the ongoing 1MDB trial is concerned. He has not made any reference to SRC. But this case, uh, from the charge sheet, from the evidence that was presented, and from the ruling made by the High, high Court judge, it concerns uh, very strictly on the issue of amendment of the final audit report. So the significance of it, uh, as far as uh, the audit report case is concerned, uh, is is that the fact the judge uh, find, uh, found no direct evidence that Najib is the one who gave the instructions and, and, and about the issue of uh, casual uh, causal links that, uh, that we spoke earlier. But as to the other case, uh, I don't think there's, there's much significance to it. Uh, so put simply then, what does this mean for both Najib Razak and Arukanda? Uh, well, of course, for, for Najib, uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, for Najib's legal team and Najib himself, uh, you know, I'm sure for, uh, as far as they are concerned, uh, there would be some reprieve uh, from the fact that there will be many charges that Najib has been facing in court. And this, has, uh, this issue, as far as the uh, tampering case, uh, you know, clearly has shown that uh, again, subject to appeal that, that he was not uh, involved. Uh, for Arul Kanda, I think uh, this is a very significant decision for him because the judge has also uh, gone on to give a certificate of immunity from any further civil action or any criminal action. So if I, if I were uh, in Arul Kanda's position, I would definitely be very relieved. So speaking of Arul Kanda, actually, uh, the judge did say that he observed that Arul was consistent throughout his testimony. He answered questions honestly and that it was compatible with all the documents and testimonies. The judge also said that Arul didn't try to minimise his part and amplify any wrongdoing by Najib. Mm-hmm. Now, from a legal perspective, how important is the, the conduct, the seeming trustworthiness of defendants and witnesses during testimony? Well, it's absolutely important uh, because uh, the High Court judge uh, who's been hearing the testimonies of witnesses, he has an audio-visual advantage to see how uh, the evidence of witnesses are because these witnesses are subjected to uh, cross-examinations as well. If, you, if you've been reading the papers, uh, the cross-examination has been intense uh, you know, due to the uh, significance of this case. So if, uh, if a trial judge uh, who has seen and heard these witnesses uh, has made a ruling uh, directly as to the issue of uh, trustworthiness of a witness, uh, more often than not, the appellate courts would not intervene in such findings unless, uh, of course, the, the, the finding is perverse. Um, so any, any criminal lawyer uh, worth his salt would know it, it would be very difficult to overturn uh, any finding of fact, especially any observation uh, made by the trial judge who has seen and heard the witnesses. Uh, so in this case, um, the judge uh, had made very uh, strong uh, observations about uh, Arul Kanda's testimony. He had, uh, in fact, as you said, uh, you know, uh, um, has said that the questions were answered honestly and compatible with the documents and, and, and other tes- areas of testimony as well. And he has also gone on to give a certificate of immunity. Um, I would, I, would, I would see this as um, uh, an observation of a trial judge, uh, which typically would be accepted uh, by the appellate court if uh, there is an appeal filed the prosecution later on. So on that then, and in closing, Deputy Public Prosecutor Kamal Baharin Omar has said that the prosecution will study the judgment and then refer to the AG to decide whether an appeal would be filed. What's next here? Well, the prosecution uh, will have 
14 days from from today to decide uh, as to whether they would be filing an appeal to the court of appeal and uh, if they decide to to file an appeal uh, you know as as what uh, dpp kamal bahrain has mentioned they would uh, need to brief the attorney general because the attorney general is the public prosecutor who who has a final say as to whether this case would be appealed upon or not if uh, there is no appeal then the matter ends here if of course the prosecution appeals this decision uh, the matter would then be heard by the court of appeal uh, the court of appeal then uh, would require the trial judge uh, justice daini madulan to provide uh, with a full written grounds uh, which to be used during the appeal and from court of appeal if there's any appeal of course there will be appeal to the federal court uh, so the ball pretty much lies on uh, sorry with the uh, ag's chambers and the ag himself at this stage datu vignesh thanks for speaking with us today Thank you very much. Have a good evening. You too. That was Dathok Vignesh Kumar, uh, a former Deputy Public Prosecutor at the Attorney General's Chambers, also an advocate and solicitor, uh, helping us understand the acquittal and discharge of Dathok Sri Najib Raza, as well as Arul Kanda, former CEO of 1MDB, in the uh, case, um, in the charge of abuse of power when it comes to the audit of 1MDB. Uh, let us know, what do you make of this? You can call 77332900. You can WhatsApp, send us a voice note at 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.